Hi there, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today to join us here at the Golf Fanatics podcast, where we always strive to find some nuggets to help you either make better decisions out on the golf course or, as we're talking today, better decisions when picking out your next set of golf clubs, your next driver, your next putter. Uh, we've got our Golf Fanatics expert contributor, Ian Fraser. You've seen him before on Golf Fanatics. You've heard the fantastic accent. The depth of information is really second to none. Ian Fraser is a great friend of mine. Uh, and not only is he a great friend, uh, but he's really somebody that I well and truly respect in the world of club fitting and just when it comes to all around club knowledge. And so Ian and I are going to have a chat today and hopefully you're going to have a little fun. You'll have a laugh or two and uh, pick up a couple of nuggets when it comes to the latest and greatest uh, pertaining to equipment trends. This episode is sponsored by Arcos Golf. So my good friend, Ian Fraser, Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Ian, that looks like uh, you're, you're driving your Ferrari today, hey? <laughs> just driving it back from the course, pal. You know how it goes. <laughs> you just had it in for a little service. I have, I have. Actually, do you know what? This is day two of the course has been open here in, uh, in Ontario. Very so, nice. Uh, yeah. I'm sneaking in for a little, I played yesterday and I just I snuck out for a little bit of practice there. So yeah, heading back home after this. Oh, fantastic, mate. I've got to tell you, not to make you jealous, but to give everyone some insights, um, the weather here, and I'm fairly close to Augusta, I'm about two hours from Augusta, and it is absolute perfection. It is 78 degrees, not a breath of wind, not a cloud in the sky. I'm sorry to do that to you, mate. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I know you live up there for a reason, and you've got your reasons. There's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good people up there. Um, Fraser, thanks so much for coming on, Pod. Uh, I really wanted today to talk, uh, just give the everyday golfer some insights as to how should we be thinking headed into that club fitting? Do we even need a club fitting? Um, what should we look for? you know, relative to our club speed, how we hit the golf ball, what's important, what's not important. Is it all about making the ball going go as far as possible with that new driver? In fact, let's just go straight to the driver, a topic that everybody loves, I'm sure. I know you guys do tons of testing. Um, what have you got for us pertaining to the latest and greatest drivers? What are you finding? Um, and are the latest and greatest drivers actually faster, straighter, what are they compared to last year's models? What do you see, mate? Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's always, always love coming on where we can jam about equipment and the latest and greatest. Um, I mean, every year is exciting. This, this year is a, a really strong driver year, specifically on drivers. This is, this is where there's seven companies this year, and, and I'll single out seven. There's actually probably a few more that would throw their hat in the ring, but you know, we focus on seven specific companies this year that we think are doing really good in the woods front and and they all have slightly different dna and they all offer something a little bit different and i think that's the beauty of it for the consumer they've never had more options which also leads to the other problem is how the heck do you ever decide which one to pick exactly. that, that's the really hard the part hard part and you know we kind of find ourselves in this position where it's ever expanding head 
kind of designs and changes shafts and and that's just that's just you know two parts then you go okay what length do we play it where do we want the cg you know do we want the loft up in the cg forward do we want the loft down in the cg back which is the decision i don't envy consumers nowadays unless they are in the fitting bay you know i couldn't walk in i couldn't imagine walking into a golf store now making a decision that fills you with any confidence whatsoever mm. Yeah, I could see that. There's, there's so many, and even for someone like me who's in the biz, you know, I must say it's tough to keep track of everything. And every year we get a new batch of technology. Uh, it's tough to understand things. Ian, here's a little question I just came up with that I think would be helpful for people. And I'm going to keep it specific to the driver. Okay, mm-hmm. you said there's seven companies out there. How about this? If you Mention the company and you give us three or four words, and it can be one um, mm-hmm. that speak to, I, I liked your term. You said each company has got their own DNA that speak to the DNA of that company. Essentially, what you, as far as you can tell, what are the researchers, the engineers, the designers at these companies working mm-hmm. towards and putting obviously we've got these priorities right they they, they can yeah. say well this is more important or that's more important accuracy versus distance um can you go, take us through those seven companies and just give us a couple of words about each one for sure for sure so Put let's on the let's, spot here a little mate sorry that's okay so let's uh, take the company on your uh, on your hat right so let's start with ping uh ping the first, the first word you're going to come up with for Ping is stable. The head is, is so stable. Um, achieved a bunch of different ways where the weight's positioned. I think one thing maybe people don't quite understand, or maybe if they, they do have their ear to the ground, they'll understand Ping does gravitate to a slightly heavier head. That's something that's a little bit of their secret sauce in, in creating a stability factor significantly higher than the, the market average. Um, if we dive into tailor-made, uh, I would say innovation and balance. I think in the past, tailor-made have, have had fast drivers. I think they're still quick, but they're moving more towards stability with that, with that uh, balance. Obviously, twist face, there's lots of different people have different opinions on twist face. But as, as, a, as a high-toe striker, I know what it does for me. And, and I know that that head overall gives me balance. So that would be the, what I would say about TaylorMade. Um, Callaway is speed. Callaway just, just screams speed. You know, these, these new heads, um, jailbreak technology, and it's, and it's kind of latest edition, very, very quick, you know, industry-leading ball speeds off the Callaway stuff. Um, Cobra, um, how would we say Cobra would be great value. Fantastic performing drivers, generally a tier below in terms of price. So you do get offered the, uh, the, the kind of you know, latest and greatest in terms of technology, but it costs a lot less with them. Hmm. So I would, I would say they're, they're a great value package. Um, Mizuno, uh, one with them is I would you know, call them, they're underdogs and they're not to be overlooked. Their performance is, is really getting out there now in terms of their metal woods, Andrew. And, and I think people think of them as a forged iron company. Well, they're trying to change that. You know, they make a really, really good wood range. Uh, actually, especially the fairway wood this year is one of the, the absolute best out there. Um, where are we on? Titleist. 
Tightlist. Wow. Um, tightlist. Best it's ever been. Uh, for we said about Tightless Woods, and we know the, the legendary woods that they've made, 975D, 975J, 910 range was fantastic. TSI 2 and 3 are the best they've ever made. Uh, they're fast, they look good. You just have to look at every single week in the PJ Tour, they win the, uh, the driver count. Um, the 2 is, is a little bit underrated. It's a better driver than, you know, the, the better looking 3 will probably take most of the credit, but the 2 is probably what most people should be in based on the fact it's very stable. Uh, and last but not least is, uh, is Strixon with, uh, with their driver offering this year. They've, they've pushed the boundaries. Um, they, they really have stepped up in terms of their games. So another underdog with them, but don't, don't sleep on them. The one thing I will say about Strixon drivers is that what might put people off is they've went in at the premium price range. The other underdogs, Mizuno and Cobra, there's a price reason as well as a performance reason to go there. If you're mm. going to pick the restrictions, you're going you're going on uh, on purely on performance because the price is up there. Okay, that's cool. That's a great little summary. Thanks, mate. Um, you got here's it. a question, Ian. Can can you tell everybody how the name Strixon came to be? Do you know what <laughs> Strixon is? Strixon, I, I don't know that. I mean, I know the oh, the heritage I, of the company behind this is the, amazing. Uh, behind the rubber I can, plant. I can tell you something about. <laughs> equipment this is amazing this. ladies and gentlemen um so bridgestone is a japanese rubber company right mm -hmm. dunlop is a japanese rubber company ultimately tire companies okay yeah. um strixon is rooted in the same thing sumitomo rubber industries sure sri yeah. sri strixon did you know that I knew about SRI. I knew, but I knew that was the parent company. I didn't know how SRI became Strixon off the back okay. of that. Okay. Well, I, I was so you knew what I didn't tell you anything. Dang, I thought I did. <laughs> no, but you a lot did. Of people <laughs> don't know that the 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 Strixon name is rooted in SRI Sumitomo Rubber Industries, and just like those other companies I mentioned, it's a Japanese rubber company. Yeah, and, and they are they are still uh, an under or not as well known as these other companies. Yet in, in Asia, they're a huge company. Uh, they're a massive company, yeah. and and obviously under the three brands that are under the SRI banner, which is Strix and Cleveland and uh, Zexio, they they have great offerings, and especially Zexio is 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 a powerhouse in the Asian market, and uh, and obviously with the rubber heritage and what that leads to with the golf ball. Um, you know, they, they have a phenomenal foundation with which to R&D and, and kind of make some of the best products out there. But it's only been in the last seven years that they've hit the North American market and they're still seen as this kind of underdog company. But uh, it's, it's slowly getting out there, which is great. And Ian, whilst we're on drivers, I know, you know, Bryson wins the Open at winged foot. There's all this talk about 48-inch drivers um, I can only imagine you guys have done a fair dose of testing on standard length versus plus one inch versus 48 inch. Uh, and I've done a little bit of testing. I'd love to hear what your findings are on longer shafted drivers. What, what have you found? Well, we've been experimenting and I personally have been, been through a kind of little uh, series of tests recently on my own. And you said it brilliantly recently, and I forget, maybe it was a tweet or an Instagram post or something, and, and the, the, the line was, you know, the closer we can get the golf ball to the hole in every given stroke, 
is is of benefit to the golfer. It was something along those lines. And that, that pertains to a drive that goes longer, you know, an iron shot that goes closer, uh, you know, a chip or a putt that goes closer. Every single time we can, you know, get that golf ball closer to the hole is an advantage to the golfer. And, and I f- I'm fully behind that and fully, fully believe in it. And I knew that for me and, and for our clients that, okay, how do we experiment with this to get the ball closer to the hole on, on the driver specifically? So, you know, we're going we're gonna to look at length, yeah, the ability to create leverage, speed. But what does that mean? Because we still can't do it without being mindful of the other components, which yeah. is swing weight, which is head weight, which is... The, the delivery implications because you know adding length doesn't come with the same delivery that it was at the standard length you're going to influence the delivery of that golf club you're yeah. likely to influence the dynamics of that golf club so you're going to change the shaft deflection you know relative to the behavior of the head um so you have to have all these things moving in 3d kind of motion around you in your mind as you as you uh, balance it all out and what i've found is um, I've actually been able to significantly become a straighter driver and a longer driver by going to 46 and a quarter versus 45. Hmm. And I never, I never thought that was the case. And for me, that, that's because my miss is left. So when I get a longer driver in my hands, it keeps the face pointing right for longer. And it's yeah. much easier for me to stabilize the club face as long as all those other things are in place. So I've had to go with a lighter shaft. So I've went with a 57 gram shaft rather than a 69 gram shaft that I've always played because I don't want the overall mass to be too heavy or I, I can't bump up the speed. Mm. I had to go with a 15 gram heavier uh, grip because I've had to offset the, let me do quick math here, seven, seven swing weights by, by the length I've added mm. just by going long. Yep. So okay. I've, I've had to add weight to that back end to offset that. I've had to reduce the head weight by five grams in order to keep that head sort of, you know, moving at the right speed and create that swing weight. So, I mean, this is a really, you know, thought out process. And again, going back to the guys at Ping, people go, why do Ping always have counterbalance shafts and always have longer shafts? Because they know in balance that heavier head weight has to be offset in order to create great performance. And they do that beautifully and they do it better than anyone because they engineer their own shafts Mm. you know their own grips all that so you know it's just it's such a moving target when it comes to how do you achieve the optimal performance uh there's so many things to think of sure and you know in talking with you were talking about ping uh in talking with the engineers at ping their findings are um each inch of added length and obviously we're all unique and certain people can have different results with different lengths. Uh, but across the board, on average, one inch of length leads to 1.2 miles per hour of increase in speed, which surprised me in that it was less than what I thought. Yes. That is interesting. Um, and, and, and that's the, int- that's the great point is that that's unique to, I mean, that's going to be unique to different people. You know, I've sure. seen people swing, uh, swing longer and get slower the club just doesn't move around them you know as well or you know subconsciously we make adjustments if the player feels uncomfortable we can back off a little bit I gained four miles an hour in club head speed by going that extra inch so for me it it was quite a quite a significant gain Mm. um you know so 
there's just there's there is so many moving parts though the rate of rotation that we can encourage the head to have that that plays a big part as well whether you know yeah. that you can increase the rate of rotation decrease it whatever you may do with that but um i do encourage people to be curious about it though that's the one thing i will say you know don't be don't be switched off to you know playing in the safe space that i, I like yeah. to say I, I want people to explore be curious go hit a 46 and go hit a 44 at the same time and see what's best for you specifically. Yeah. 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 For sure. I, I think that's a great word. I love that. You know, get uncomfortable, get out of the circle of comfort, be curious, go and explore great advice. I think for everybody to go out there when you're doing your next club fitting is try some new things, try yeah. something that you think might not work for you. And 100%. You, you might be surprised. You might be surprised. Um, yeah. Ken, let's, let's transition just a little bit here to irons. And mm -hmm. this is a beef of mine that I've had for a long time in that golfers don't seem to be aware that when it comes to the club face on irons, how that club face interacts with the ball, when that club face collides with the back of the golf ball, um, there's a lot that can happen. Can you share some insights as to the different genres of irons that are out there and things that people need to be aware of. Wow. I mean, genres has exploded. We used to think about, you know, we had, we had game improvement. We had a kind of player's cavity and we had a blade. We were kind of always in those three. And now you've got super game improvement. You've kind of got subsections chopped up along the way. And um, there's, there's, you know, there's this kind of hollow bodied iron and, and talking about, you know, faces and some, some are, you know, they behave in traditional fashion. They, they are rigid. They, they do not contribute to the, the launch of the golf ball, the additional speed of the golf ball. And then you've got this new wave that have significant contribution towards that, you know, and Ping, again, to coin their phrase of dive board technology, contributing towards launch, knowing that, you know, 27 degrees or 26 degrees on a six iron is not the traditional way it will not aid the launch and spin that every golfer needs. So we'll innovate and create that launch that you need. Um, you know, people don't realize of the three factors that makes the ball go up. The most influential of those factors is the velocity. Yes. Yeah. Is how quick that ball is coming off the face. So, you know, people fall in love with, oh, my golf ball needs to spin. Well, you and I both know that the, the more spin that we produce with a golf ball, it goes down. The yeah. friction pulls it down. So we're, we're not, we should not be focusing fully on spin as the major contribution towards getting your irons to go up so they land nice and soft. Get that ball speed up, get that launch angle up and manage your spin rates all around, but don't be focused on them specifically. Yeah. Ian, would you say that, that this dive board, as I like to call it, face flex, technology that we get in irons nowadays that is the reason why the companies have had to bring the lofts down and so they've had to bring the lofts down in response to the technology causing mm -hmm. the ball to go i.e further and higher yeah. Um, a lot of people seem to, in my opinion, mistakenly think that well, what, what the companies are doing nowadays is they're simply bringing the loft down to make the ball go further. 
Well, if yeah, we just yeah. did that, you know, um, yeah, if we brought the loft of a nine iron down and changed nothing else, the ball would go further. But what would happen if we brought the loft of a five iron down? Um, the ball would actually ultimately go shorter. It would just fly yeah. plane lower. And so it's, exactly. it's the, the reduction in loft is primarily due to this new technology that really is is propelling the ball up into the air. Um, would you say that's an accurate way to to share that information with people? Yeah, I would. I, I really, really would. And, you know, I would encourage people to, you know, be mindful of, of the clubs that have that on the whole set. Some have it in part of the set, you know, a pro more of a progressive design. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Andrew. It's, it is a function of trying to create, again, I keep talking about balance, but that's ultimately what we're all striving to, to mm. achieve. You know, we, we're going to give and take everywhere. So, you know, a longer golf club versus a shorter golf club, we're going to be shallower. We're going to have a harder time reaching that similar apex with a four iron as we did with an eight iron. Well, how do we get around that? Well, we we, we create, you know, we have technology and, and we create, um, you know, more performance in other areas and things like face flex technology is exactly how we achieve that. You know, we have progressive CG we can, you know, we see maybe that the head gets a little bit wider in the, bo the bottom. So that pulls the CG deep and away. We know what that does in creating launch and, and obviously aiding that velocity in the ball to get up in the air. So I just think irons are going through a phase right now with which we saw drivers go through probably about seven or eight years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. They exploded with technology. There's screws in there. There was yeah. different shapes being used you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, there's dual crowns being used in order to, to sort of create aerodynamic effects and these sorts of things. And, and I think we're seeing that with irons right now, a lot of innovation going on. And the reason I say do your homework is there are companies who are doing the opposite. Maybe there's a company who has a two-piece head that has a, a miraging face, and, and which is particularly strong, you know, and it's not, it's not really designed as much to, to create as much face flex as it is to just just quick ball speeds you know off of that very very strong face and create a lot of compression of the golf ball so there, there are just different companies trying different things and you've got to go out there and get fit for the one that's right for you don't guess yeah yeah i think that's 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 great information um ian can i get just one sentence on this question Same length irons for the regular everyday golfer. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Feasible single length, single length as a technology. Yes, just just the idea. What do you think about yeah. it? Um, I think the more advanced or the more accomplished golfer is likely to benefit significantly less by that. And and I would probably cap that off at probably a you know, 15, 12 handicaps, somewhere around there and down towards, you know, scratching better. I've seen some good stuff with the higher handicappers. I've seen, you know, things that breed consistency. The one thing golfers at that handicap tend to lack is consistency. Um, you know, the, the, the golf ball, the golf club being delivered at the same point, that same low point with every club. And, you know, that breeds some consistency. But I think it, it creates a one-dimensional element to the set that means it, it, it needs more from the golfer. Look at Bryson, mm. right? He, he, he's had to 
you know, he, he's had to come up with so many ways to play the game, but we see his limitations. We do see his limitations when it comes to the short shots, the touch shots, get the ball above his feet. And, and you know, that, that lie angle sitting way up in there. Good luck controlling that face, but he's elite and he's talented and he, has, he does this all day, every day. I just, I, I can't give that advice to a golfer to go do that because I don't, I know they, they don't have the same time to put into it. So I just think it's, it's just not for enough golfers out there to be a technology that I really support. Cool. Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Ian, what is, in, in club design over the last decade or so, what's the most epic fail that you've seen? Wow, epic fail. That's, you that's don't a have good to one. Name names, but just give us the idea behind the technology. And there may not be one. You know? Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, the most epic. Fail. I remember when I first started playing golf, there was a set of irons called the Feather Lights. Right, okay. It was, it, it felt like you looked down and you saw there was an iron on the, you know, a head on the end of the shaft, but it felt like you were swinging a shaft. Mm -hmm. You know, these things weighed nothing. Um, that, that, that didn't stick around for long. Yeah, the, the, I suppose one that sticks in my mind um, was was that nunchuck shaft. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah, I do. I do remember that, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I just think, you know, that, that nunchuck came in, came in one flex, weighed about, I mean, 100 grams or something like that. And it was a kind of one-size-fits-all. And the, the, the advertising was, was a lady hitting it. It was, a, you know, a senior golfer hitting it. It was, it was all these different golfers and, you know, apparently doing incredibly well. Well, I mean... You know, I swing the golf club relatively quick. I'm, you know, physically capable enough to handle different weights and things like that. Yet I gravitate towards a 57 gram driver shaft. I can't imagine swinging a hundred gram driver shaft or roundabout, whatever it may be, and thinking that I could perform well with that. And not, not the way yeah. that we've seen technology evolve. So, yeah, that would be one that was a bit of a stinker. I think. Interesting. And Ian, what? Um... I, you know, I, I see a lot of golfers hitting shots on TrackMan. Um, so I get, you know, their spin measurements day in and day out. Uh, you might use different technology, but you're looking at spin numbers, fairly accurate spin numbers, mm -hmm. we can assume day in and day out. Do you see a great percentage of golfers that tend to spin the ball too much off the driver? Or do you see... More golfers, what side of the equation would you say it's tipped towards? Players with too much spin or players with not enough spin? Definitely too much. Yeah, really de generally, generally speaking, we, we see players with too much. Uh, I don't really get into too many conversations with people who, I mean, we've got different ways in which people are going to swing it. You know, into out and reducing loft, out to in and, and increasing in loft. Yeah. So, you know, we've all seen and, and you, you teach them and help them, you know, all the time is, is kind of, you know, we're normally we're trying to kind of get a little less loft than the, the club face at impact. We're trying to stabilize that club face and keep it as square as we can for as long as we can. And, you know, a lot of golfers are, are increasing dynamic loft through impact. So, you know, we're trying to obviously educate them of what's going on and at the same time try to create a balance towards not putting a big Band-Aid on it, but towards allowing them to to you know have better launch conditions with the swing that they bring us because we're not in we're not in the position where we're going to try and reinvent the wheel every time someone walks in the bay, 
we'd be banging our head off our brick wall at the end of the day, trying to fit them and change their swings at the same time every day. So we're trying to get them to walk out better than they walked in. That's our job. Yeah. And yeah. and with a with a you know a mindset of am I really handicapping their ability to improve by giving them this club? You know, if they do change technique and things like that, am I giving them allowance? Am I giving them a little bit of bandwidth in, within that to go ahead and improve? Knowing that that significant purchase is not going to be compromised at that point, that's always in the mindset of a fitter. Cool. And, you know, I've got to tell everybody this story, a couple of stories about you, Ian, because, you know, I love you like a brother. And uh, I remember many, many years ago, um, watching you give a number of fittings and uh, Ian spent, you know, a good solid hour and a half with somebody testing their clubs versus the new clubs and new technology. And after an hour and a half, two hours, I saw you do this on a number of occasions. You said, hey, uh, thanks so much for coming out today. No charge. I don't think we've got anything that's going to significantly improve your performance over what you currently have in your bag. Um, come see us in a couple of years when we might have something better. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> it happens. I mean, it happens. Somebody can walk in the door and what they've got just works for them. And, you know, our reputation, my reputation is on the line with that. And, you know, I work at the same place all day, every day. So they know where to find me. And if, if I, you know, I'm going to try, if I'm going to upsell them and sell them something new and, you know, that doesn't work, they're going to come back through that door. And, you know, you just can't do that with a clear conscience. And, you know, one thing, whether it's a, me or whether I tell my fitters, integrity is what you stand behind with everything. And, you know, never try to sell someone something they don't need. That's great. I, I love that. And I'll also say this to all the, everybody watching, if if I am so privileged to coach a young player who makes it onto the PGA Tour, um, they are going to at some point be hopping on a plane to fly to Toronto, Canada to go and spend <laughs> uh, a day with my man Ian Fraser so that they can get all their gear fitted and fine-tuned accordingly so that they can really perform at their best. And I really, you know, I, I've thought that to myself for years. I'm sure I've said that to you, mate. But um, I really, if I've got a player who wants to go and compete for a living, there's only one person I'm sending them to. And, and it's you, brother. Thank you, pal. Thank you. That means an awful lot. And, and that, that day is going to come. You know, I've bookmarked, bookmarked that day for a long time that, that you and I are going to have that experience together where, you know, we're standing on a tee with, with a player you know, and, and, you know, you're coming at it. Okay. Technically this is, this is where we're at. Okay. What are you thinking the equipment? And, yeah. you know, you and I are working together as a team for that player and really yeah. bringing out the very best in them. That's, that's going to happen one day. I look forward to it, Matt. And you actually bring up a great point there, Ian. I think, you know, golf instructors, we need to play a more active role in our students fittings. And it's not that I want to do your job. I just, perhaps understand what the player is trying to do with their golf swing um, and ultimately what they're trying to do with their golf ball, what they want their golf ball flight to look like and what they don't want it to look like. And I think if, if we can just as golf instructors, I know I try to do this with all my students who I know are going for a fitting. I'll say, listen, shoot me your fitters email, shoot me your fitters telephone number. I'll give them a call. I'll say, 
two minutes. Here's the deal. I'm not trying to do your job, but this is what I see in Bob's swing. I know this is what Bob's trying to do. When you're fitting him, if you can keep him out of something that's going to cause the ball to go left or low or high or whatever it is, um, that's something that certainly can help uh, both the fitter and ultimately the player. Yeah, yeah. And, and we love that and appreciate that, you know, because sometimes it's, it's not always in the player's mind what the vision is for, for the future, you know, and if they get regular lessons and the coach has a blueprint and a roadmap for them to improve, we want to facilitate that improvement and help along those, uh, those kind of along that road. And we don't want to kind of get in the way and, and kind of slow down that, that uh, improvement. So like you said, it's a team effort and, and that's not, that's not, you know, at every elite level or at only an elite level, that's that's with every golfer whose aspirations yeah. to play the game at a higher level, or you know, significant or reduce their handicap by a stroke or two. You know, if you if you compound anything, you will increase your chances of, of improvement. Yeah, yeah. Okay, phrase. So we've got uh, we always close out all our podcasts with some fast finish questions, and I'm okay. going to throw some things at you. And uh, you've you've just gotta you've just gotta tell me what you what you're thinking, okay? What you're thinking. So um, here we go. Jack or Tiger? Tiger. Oh, that was way too quick. You you gotta, <laughs> you gotta think that's about how, that's one. how easy that one was. That was how easy. <laughs> tiger. You're <laughs> such a tiger fan. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Beatles. Would you prefer to win a major championship or the money list? Major. Good choice. Annika Sorenstam or Mickey Wright? Annika. Didn't, didn't see Mickey play. Didn't, didn't okay. get a chance to appreciate her nearly enough. But yeah, Annika for me. Lynx or Parkland? This is, this is highly co uh, controversial. Parkland, Loch Lomond, the number oh one. Oh my gosh! I know, no, I know. You're not going to be allowed to go back home now. <laughs> no, <laughs> I used to. I used to work at what I consider to be the the, the best over there, at Turnbury. You know, I used to work there, and uh, yeah. but you know, if you give me one round of golf, where am I going? I'm going to Loch Lomond. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Caddyshack or Tin Cup? Caddyshack. Would you rather be the best iron player or the best driver? Driver. I like it. Pebble Beach or St. Andrews? St. Andrews. Gosh, you, you got to try to get earn your way back in, you know? Otherwise, if you play <laughs> Pebble, it's like you've excommunicated. I know. Walk or ride? Walk. Walk. Okay. So... Um, we've, we've got a, we've always got a, a bonus question that is specific to our guests. And I've come up with one that I think would appeal to you. Okay. Would you rather play the back tees at St. Andrews with your current set of clubs? Mm -hmm. Or would you rather play the member tees at St. Andrews with uh, a set of blades and a 384 turbolada and a persimmon driver? And it's just not forever, just one round. Which one would you pick? 
you're going to take that step back in time, aren't you? I mean, you're going to, yeah, you're, you're going to play from the forward tees with that old technology because just to experience it. Yeah. You've, you've got to do it. I mean, I, I started playing golf in 97. You know, the heads had already expanded. There was no persimmon. There was no, you know, yeah. game improvement. Irons were already out. So, you know, I, I kind of didn't get a chance to experience that. So I would definitely play from the front tees with the, with the, an old, you know, single strap and yeah, leather few, bag. Yeah, get the mashy and get all the old clubs in there. That'd That's true. Great. It's 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 ultimately part. It's part of the romance of the game, isn't it? Hey, yeah. it's not like you're trying to set the scoring record or make the cut in the Open Championship. You're just going out there for a stroll down memory lane. You know. Yeah, yeah. You got to appreciate where it came from and you know how we've gotten where we've got to. You know, there's. There's been been a long, long journey to that, and uh, I would love the opportunity to do exactly that. Wow, that would be that would be a bit of a, a kind of religious golfing experience to go and do yeah. something like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, actually, you know that that brings to mind. I know, I know, I certainly would love to do that. You would love to do something like that, wouldn't that be neat? If someone set up a golf trip where it was only blades, only persimmons, and you, they they brought along this giant stash of, you know, new. They were not, you know, hadn't been sitting in someone's basement for the last forty years, but a, a fresh batch of the old golf balls. Um, wow, that would be a fun trip, wouldn't it? That would be unreal, wouldn't it? I mean, if we think we, we've just spent, you know, the last however long talking about, you know, centers of gravity and how we're trying to push the boundaries of performance through technology and innovation and the great minds that are in the game nowadays. You strip all that back and you go back to the, the roots of the club makers. The pro was the club maker, you know, and yeah. he made everyone's clubs and, you know, done it all by hand and all that sort of stuff. And the craftsmanship that used to go into a set of golf clubs, you know, was just incredible. No 3D printing, you know, none of this stuff yeah. that we know today. And, uh, you know, that would be a really, really neat experience. It would, phrase. Maybe one day we'll get to do it, brother. Hey, Ian, uh, thanks it. so much for taking time out of your day. I appreciate you hanging out with us for uh, this little window of time. And I also wanted to say thank you so much for the great information that you share with us here at Golf Fanatics. We appreciate what you have to share. And I know... Um, if I can ever point someone in your direction or if I've ever got a question that I don't know the answer to, which is quite often, um, I'm going to give you a shout and reach out and try to see if I can find an answer, mate. So thank you for sharing. Thanks, brother. Love you dearly. And you and Terry are doing an amazing, amazing thing with, with golf and attics and just bringing great information to people. So uh, thank you for everything and thanks for allowing me to be part of it. Ah, you got it, Pods. Thank you. Send love to the fam and take care of yourself, eh? Thanks, brother. Cheers. See you soon. Thanks, buddy.